You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my astonishingly talented podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. How you doing, Lisa? Doing great today, Carlos. Excited for another great podcast. Me too. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about dealing with burnout, especially after being a top performer. And I'm really looking forward to this. I, mean, I might need to get some free therapy out of the session, so this should be good. Well, and to help us out with this, we have our very own Stephen Hardy, who is founder and director of Navigate the Curve, and actually a recovering sales professional himself. He is now turned into performance psychology coach and clinical hypnotherapist. Stephen, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you both. It's great to meet you. And I love that uh, description of recovering salesperson. Fantastic. So Stephen, to get us started and help our audience know you a little bit better, we always start out with the same question. What's something that you're passionate about that those that primarily know you through work might be surprised to know about you? At the moment, uh, I think you'd be quite surprised with my answer. My passion at the moment is actually sleep because I have an 18-month baby. <laughs> I remember someone saying to me before he was born that you'll never realize how much you take sleep for granted until your baby's born. So, uh, yeah, my passion is sleep. I did train in jiu-jitsu. I'm beginning to realize that my jiu-jitsu training is exceptionally effective Helping change nappies is probably the primary. Holding down with one hand and the <laughs> dexterity to do that. <laughs> I think he's a couple of months away from getting me in an arm bar and getting me to tap out, I think. Well, UFC could be your next career. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Stephen, let's talk a little bit more about you because you've had an amazing career from organizations like Dell and VMware, Gartner and Salesforce. So how did you end up with Navigate the Curve? And tell us a little bit about your experience in those sales roles. It's an interesting question because it's not an obvious choice, is it really, given um, my previous career. 20 odd years in sales, I kind of fell into sales, to be honest. I, I feel like a lot of people do that. I don't know whether it's the same in Canada and the States, but certainly in the UK. When I was a kid, I didn't tell my parents I really wanted to work in software sales, but I kind of fell into it and I, I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. I found that I was quite good at it. I think I was a bit unique for sales in the fact that I'm you know, a natural introvert and I'm not really an extroverted, pushy kind of person, but I somehow made that work for me. But I did find myself getting very stressed throughout my career. And I, I found it, you know, as a lot of people do, it's just so all encompassing. I, I really struggled to relax going on holiday or vacation. Switching off the weekends was pretty much impossible. I was always scrolling on my phone. So I always knew that at some point there'd be a point where I'd break away from sales when I just got that final deal in, or I'd just got X amount of money. And then there was a bit of a perfect storm for me, in all honesty. It was around about the, well, it was just after COVID. I feel like there was a period of time where a lot of people went through a lot of mental change. And, and I remember having COVID. It really wiped me out for some time. I, not to the point that I, it hit a lot of people, but I was just exhausted for a long time. And then after that, I just started to feel, I was really struggling to think clearly. I was really struggling to engage. I was kind of losing my confidence because I, my brain was, just wasn't as sharp as it used to be. And I decided to take some time off. And at the same time, my wife was pregnant and she got really ill with something called preeclampsia, which I'd never even heard of. It's basically pregnancy-related high blood pressure. 
And it happened very suddenly and pretty much overnight, she was in intensive care, really severely ill. So they had to deliver our son very prematurely. So it was a combination of almost losing my wife and then my son being very ill for a long period of time. And it just gets you to reflect on life. I remember being in that room when he was being delivered and I was looking around at all of these amazing people in the room working, you know, selflessly. And I just thought, how cool is that? Saving lives. And I was thinking to myself, I probably earn more money than anyone in this room. And that's just ridiculous because what they do is just so much more important and so much more skilled than what I do. So all of these kind of things came together and it just got me thinking about making a change and it got me thinking about throughout my life I've had to focus on myself because I've struggled with confidence issues and I've struggled as being an introvert and I've had to continuously work on myself and I had to work on myself when I felt burnt out and then recognizing that all around me people were struggling and uh, a lot of my peers direct colleagues and different organizations worked out and just my general social group were really struggling with burnout anxiety all of those different things so I thought, why don't I do something that I love, something that I can give back to society on and something that I think is a big demand for. And this sequence of random events just kind of fell into place that sometimes it does. I don't, I don't know whether there's science behind it or what, but I ended up having this conversation with a guy who, um, my wife was doing this random job just as a fun thing, dog sitting in London. We were living in London at the time. And when you live in London in specific areas, as is the case for a lot of big cities, um, you get to meet some really interesting characters. And she got to meet this lady whose father was a writer, and I'd never heard of him. He's in his 90s, a guy called Charles Handy. And she said, why don't you come and have a coffee with my father? Because he's super interesting and he's keen to, very sharp. He's obviously elderly now because he's in his mid-90s and he loves talking to young, young inverted commas. I'm in my 40s, but I'll take that. People. And so I said, yeah, why not? I'd love to. So I went and had a chat with him and it was just an inspirational talk. He was talking about his life and his um, philosophies about how people should constantly change their roles and how he'd lived his life just following his passion. And when he'd been at the top again, just, just deciding to stop and do something completely different. In that conversation, I suddenly realized that he'd inspired me to live a different lifestyle. And I said that to him and he almost, this guy in his mid-90s, he recently had a stroke, unfortunately, so he's a little bit disabled. But I don't know whether I imagined this, maybe I did. Sometimes you remember things differently. But I felt as though he jumped out of his chair and punched the air when I said that. He kind of energetically did. And yeah, I just felt inspired by that. So I thought, you know, you only live once. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to follow my passion. And I did. So I did a whole load of research into all different methodologies and techniques. And I spoke to some people who were loosely in my network who were clinical psychologists in the NHS, the UK Health Service, and they directed me towards this um, area of training which brought together CBT, neuroscience, solution-focused brief therapy, and trance, so hypnotherapy, brings it all together, forward-looking, so it's solution-focused, we don't dwell on the past, we don't dwell on problems, we look to the future and it's all about changing behaviours and moving from there. So a very long-winded answer. <laughs> so if you give me the mic, I know I'm an introvert, but I just ended up talking for a long time. So Stephen, help me understand. So how does someone even know that they're burning out versus uh, I'm just tired and you know whining a lot? Well, the symptoms of burnout, things like overthinking, losing motivation, just feeling flat, feeling cynical, not being optimistic about the future. So kind of feeling like, so for example, if you're in sales and you just look into the future and you're just looking linear pattern of quarter after quarter after quarter and you're just thinking 
another year's coming, going to get another target reset, you know, that kind of thing. And you're probably on the track towards burnout. But a lot of people, especially high performers, they quite often either don't recognize it or try to ignore it because people can use work as a kind of way of deflecting from anxiety and burnout. It's prevalent with high performers, you know, high functioning anxiety is just, it's, I mean, that's what I had. It can also be a motivator for people. So some might not recognize it. If you do recognize those kind of symptoms, I think you're probably on the path towards burnout. You're kind of resonating with me because one of the things that's actually, and I think Carlos and I are very similar that way. One of the things that I find myself doing is absolutely the worst thing for my mental health is not being busy. And so it's interesting that you say like you're not necessarily recognizing that as a potential on-ramp for burnout because it's just that's your coping mechanism. I don't know the proper term, but. I mean, it can be addictive. So the reason why we get addicted to things is we're trying to cover up a bad feeling in ourselves or some kind of hole in ourselves. So we look to that to cover that up. And work can be that thing for us. It can be that thing that we become addicted to as high performers. It's quite common that high performers, obviously all of my former peers and friends reached out to me and said, what the hell are you doing? Kind of thing. And I tell them about my business and they um, quite often will come back with um, comments such as, well, I'd love to work on myself and I'd love to feel happier, but I, I worry that I lose my motivation and I'd lose my drive. And it, for me, looking from the outside in now, that kind of feels quite a perverse thing to say because why would you want to sacrifice your happiness and your relationships and, and everything around you, your life, just to earn money? But I was of that mindset myself. I did recognize that I used to, to kind of fear relaxing because I worried that I'd take my eye off the ball and I'd get caught out. It sounds crazy, but that's how I thought at the time. And a lot of people do think that way. Stephen, is there any research? I mean, how many people I'm asking for a friend? Because as you talk about these things, the reality is I resonate with a lot of them. Me and Lisa run our own business. So my friends would call me, he goes, how's it going? Good, but I don't know what the rest of the year looks like. You know, nothing's guaranteed. So I always have this, you got to stay sharp hunger because I think it's part of what makes me successful, but it's stress and it's anxiety. So in your research, I mean, how many people are really burning out versus just trying to keep an edge, I guess? I mean, you talk about these things. I'm like, oh my God, I'm out. I'm burned out. I honestly don't know how many people are burning out. So the way that I work is I don't treat anything as a problem unless it's a problem for the client. So if someone is burnt out, but they don't see it as a problem, then that's, that's their choice. I'm not here to impose problems on other people. I'm only here to help people who recognize problems themselves and actually want to address that. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, it's kind of loosely connected to what we we're just talking about, but again, quite a perverse thing to say, but quite often people are invested in the mental health issues for some reason or not. So as an example, a peer of mine who's trained in a similar kind of discipline had a client who was an elderly lady. And she had these really bad pains in her legs and she was struggling with mobility and she kept going to the doctors and they, they couldn't work out what was wrong with her. And her children were coming to visit her every day to look after her. And it's after a while it transpired that she didn't actually want the pain to go away because her children were coming around to visit her every day and they weren't before that. And that's a little bit of a metaphor for us. So sometimes we have some form of investment in our mental health issues. I know it's a bit of a controversial thing to say, but it is true for some people. We can invest in our anxiety because we can see that as being our motivator for when we're in sales. 
all kinds of things. We can invest in depression because we get people come and help us and we like that elderly lady, our family will come to our aid and things like that. So we'd be really careful about investing in our mental health. And, and that's why I'll only work with people who recognize that they have an issue and recognize that they want to change. It's interesting because I always go, there's some folks that make time for to work out, you know, mental health, everything else. And I'm envious of them because I think they have more life balance. In fact, sometimes I even think if anybody disagrees with me, send me your complaints to my LinkedIn. I'm, I'm all, I'll take them. But not that having kids is easy, as you just mentioned, but they also create a reason to stop working at times. And when you don't have the kids, you don't have the reason. You could do this trip over here or you could go, you know, forget about this holiday because you don't have any kids. So you don't have the excuse. So the reality is I think there's a lot of people that feel burnout and a lot of people that sacrifice their health, mental and physical to whatever the job is and the goal is because they feel like that's what it takes. I mean, I remember talking to folks during COVID that were having a hard time and I go, hey, I, I feel very fortunate, but I'll tell you the truth. I'm working some 50, 60 plus hour weeks because the work is here and I feel like I don't know what it's going to end. So I'm just going to take it as it comes. In doing so, it puts your workouts and your mental health, you get less attention. So any advice for folks like me? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we've always got more choice than we think. There's always a solution to whatever situation we're in, whether you like that solution or not. The other thing as well is that when you're in a positive frame of mind, when I work with clients, I talk to them about that. The first thing that I do is I tell them about what's going on in the brain. So I talk to them about the neuroscience. So this is a very um, simplified version of what's going on in your brain here. But imagine that you split your brain into two different areas. So there's a primitive part of your brain, which was the part that our primitive ancestors used to survive and to stay alive. So it just cares about keeping you alive. And that's when you have that fight, flight, freeze response. You know, when someone jumps out at you or you get that bad email from a client or a manager and you get angry or anxious, that's that response in that part of the brain. And then there's the um, intellectual part of the brain, which has developed since then. And it's uh, enabled us to think with clarity, think rationally, to be able to see the wood for the trees and, and think intellectually. When we have anxiety or when we're really overwhelmed or stressed, we're working in that primitive part of the brain. And the problem with that primitive part of the brain is that it's not intellectual. So it can't think of new ideas and new solutions. It's just basically just going around in a cycle, just that habitual behavior. And that's kind of helpful for sales because if you know the sales process, you can kind of just keep going like that. But it's also always looking out for the worst case scenario. It's always negatively forecasting. It's overthinking. It's always on guard, highly vigilant. And you're kind of seeing things that just aren't real because you just haven't got a perspective. So that can get you so far in sales. You can kind of cope and you're going to be motivated because you're basically 24-7, you're on high alert. It's as if like a grizzly bear's in front of you about to attack you. So you're kind of like in that mode. The problem with that, it's not sustainable. And as I said, you can't think creatively, you can't think intellectually, you can't think rationally, you can't get that perspective. So what I'd say is, even though that state of anxiety can be a motivator, it's not the optimal state. If you're able to focus on your mental health and the things that you cite before are brilliant, so the exercise, all of those kind of things are amazing, you know, being part of a community, interacting with people, fantastic. If you're able to work in that intellectual part of your brain, you're going to be so much more productive. You're going to be so much more efficient. You're going to be so much better at your job. You're probably going to earn more money and you're going to be happier. 
And that's the ironic thing. Some people just don't want to change because they're trapped in that part of the brain. The other thing as well, the primitive brain, it hates change. So it sees any kind of change as a threat. So it's just going to do whatever it can to trap you in there. And if that means stopping you from going to see a therapist, then it'll do whatever it can. It'll think of those excuses as well. So it's a good thing working on your mental health through all aspects of your career. That makes sense. And you're working with clients to help them to retrain or, I guess, reignite the intellectual part of the brain so that they can get out of that cycle? Yeah, that's quite a good description that. So it's helping them to gain intellectual control over their mind. So helping them to move from that, this metaphorically speaking, move from that primitive part of their brain to the intellectual part of the brain. So they spend more time in that and they, they get used to working in that part of the brain. The interesting thing is that I don't actually really do anything. It's everyone has the answers to all of their problems already in their brain. Everyone has the ability to find solutions to the problem. Our brains are amazing. All I do is I go through a process which facilitates that and it helps clients to move forward and regain intellectual control of their mind. So you're taking, I think you mentioned this before we started, Lisa, I can't remember the phrase you mentioned, action trumps anxiety, was it? Was that the one? Action beats anxiety, yeah. Uh, that's right, yeah. And that's correct. So it's it's moving forward with positive action. So taking, just tweaking your behaviors. Because if we continue to do what we've always done in this CBT element, so your thinking and our behaviors and our feelings are all connected to each other. So if we change one of them, if we change how we behave, we're going to change how we think and we're going to change how we feel. So it's just tweaks in the behavior. And this is where we work together to find those, what are those little tweaks? And then the superpower here is to engage the subconscious mind. This is the hypnotherapy piece. I'm not the hypnotherapist to pendulum, blah, blah, blah. Like you good. <laughs> oh, what? There goes all the images just came crashing down. <laughs> yeah, they do, unfortunately. So that's a bit, of, there are people who do that, not exactly that, but they'll put you into a trance and then they'll say, when you wake up, you're going to be incredibly confident and you're going to be the best salesperson in the world and blah, blah, blah. You go, off you go. Okay, if they want to do that, that might work for a small period of time. But what I do is I engage the subconscious to, once we've had the conversation with the conscious mind, we set some clear objectives and got the conscious mind thinking on what, generally thinking what the solution might be, then we'll engage the subconscious mind. And this is where the subconscious mind goes to work and starts to really create solutions and think of whole new ideas. And so often that'll get text messages, WhatsApp messages from clients and just say, I had this dream last night and I just had this amazing idea or I was going for a walk and I've just got it. I just realized what I need to do. And so it kind of supercharges everything. That's the hypnotherapy piece. You'll have both been in the trance already today. It's that state of relaxation, kind of daydreaming a little bit when you're, maybe when you're driving a familiar route or you're doing something that you love, you just kind of lose yourself for a moment. That's all it is. I don't have any kind of magical powers or anything like that. I just help you to get into that state. I think everybody who's British has magical powers. It goes with the accent, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a, a Northeastern accent, so whenever I go to the States, no one recognizes me being English. But uh, unfortunately, I don't sound like Hugh Grant, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I've got the Canadian accent, so. But I wanted to ask you about this because it, you were talking a bit about Charles Handy and how revelational that conversation was for you. And I, I was reading on your website here about the concept of the second curve. And so obviously your company is called Navigating the Curve, but you learned this concept from Charles. Could you explain it a little bit to us? 
at a high level, the concept is that whenever you're at the top of your game, be it as an individual, as a company, as a economy, as a society, that's the exact point that you need to change. So whenever you feel like you're really nailing it, you need to do something different. And the reason being is that you start to become complacent. The competition will start to catch up or things will just change. And what Charles Handy did, so he started, I believe he was an oil exec after university. He was working in, I think it was somewhere in Asia. And he suddenly told his wife, right, I'm quitting this and I'm going to become a writer. And uh, he just, his wife was like, right, so where are we going to get the money from? And he said, well, no, I'm just going to do it. And that's what he did throughout his life. And he didn't care about progressing upwards, you know, through a hierarchy. It was following his passion and doing something completely different. And what that did is it kept him sharp because he didn't become complacent, but it also developed him. So he was getting all of these skills that people who'd stayed in that track as an oil exec just wouldn't have the writing. And then he went on to be this big stage presenter and he was going all over the world and coaching the most senior execs in all of the global companies. And that's because he developed himself by really pushing himself outside of his comfort zone and just trying something completely different. So navigate the curve is kind of built around my journey. So my journey of having burnout and then doing something totally unique and crazy to some people, because I, I feel like there's a whole load of people out there who maybe fell into sales or fell into business, but they also have other interests that they haven't explored. So the purpose of the company is to help them with the mindset coaching, to help them basically rediscover their mojo, think with clarity, have that intellectual control. And when they get that, then they'll feel more comfortable to explore what is their sense of purpose? What do they really want to do? And that might well be going back into the same role, but just supercharged with an invigorated clarity of thought, invigorated sense of purpose. It might be changing within the organization. It might be going to a different organization, or it might be doing something completely left field like me. So I have a, a coach working alongside me who's a brilliant guy who helped me, a guy called Mervyn, and he's just incredibly intuitive and working with people is a real kind of really loves people and he helps people to rediscover their sense of purpose so once they've done that and they're kind of back either back in that role change roles or doing something completely different we then work with them just to basically accelerate to be the very best version of themselves and i can come in and, and help them with that performance coaching as well so that's the kind of framework for navigate the curve i see that really developing over the years and i'm, I'm looking to bring in different experts into that journey. That's the framework for the business that I'm building out. I would think that fear of failure would be a deterrent. Think about top performers, they're doing great in what they're doing. So now they feel burnt out, but hey, there's this fear of failure. I might not be great at this other thing I pick. Is that a headwind for a lot of them in changing? It is. And that's why we focus on the mindset first, because that fear that comes from the primitive mind. You can, so the primitive mind's always negatively forecasting. Whereas the intellectual mind, it always finds solutions to your problems and it's generally positive. So when you're able to get into that intellectual part of your brain, you start to realize that, I mean, if you've been a top performer in sales, you've got some pretty good skills. Your skills are really transferable. I mean, I hear all of the time and, and I used to think, okay, I've only worked in sales. What, what can I actually do? All, I, all I've ever done is I've got no qualifications. I've just written sales. But that's a ridiculous thing to say when you were able to look at it rationally because the skills that you have are skills of an entrepreneur. You're able to pick up the phone, speak to someone you've never, ever met, have a conversation, set up a meeting with them, go through a sales cycle and close 
maybe kind of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of business with them. I mean, how many people can do that? Just recognizing that you have these amazing skills, you have that resilience as well. You can pretty much, if you put your mind to something, if you're able to think clearly, if it's in alignment with your sense of purpose and your authentic self, how can you not be successful? And so just tying directly into that, because one of the things that I've definitely struggled with, and I know a lot of our colleagues and friends have as well, is imposter syndrome. And so like fear of failure, of course, imposter syndrome being not necessarily the same thing, but is part of your mindset coaching piece identifying that or does that come later? Clients will come to me with all kinds of problems and and, and ultimately it doesn't really matter what their problem is because enabling them to regain intellectual control of the mind will sort out most of the problems. Sometimes clients don't even tell me what their problems are until the end. I mean, I had a guy that I was working with, I didn't know he was an alcoholic until um, the end of the sessions and he told me that he'd stopped drinking. But imposter syndrome, I think the first thing to recognize is that pretty much all of us have imposter syndrome. We can reframe it and you know we can think of it as a beneficial thing because we know that we're pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and we're growing. But again, you know, when you're in that primitive part of your brain, you're going to be thinking negatively. You're going to be overthinking. You're going to think that, you know, everyone's looking at me. Everyone's analyzing everything that I'm saying. You're going to seek perfectionism and going to benchmark yourself against perfection. These are all traits. And this is just your primitive mind trying to keep you safe by not getting you to go out of your comfort zone and into that kind of perceived danger area. So yeah, again, when the, when the move away from that primitive mind, then this can kind of drop off. But also I think I'm really a big believer in, in realigning with your sense of purpose and just understanding who your authentic self is as well. Because when you know who your authentic self is and you can just sit back into that person, then it kind of doesn't matter if you're not perfect. Look at my background, just really uncorporate. I'm just chatting here off the top of my head to you. I'm not coming across as super professional, but I'm just being my authentic self and I feel quite comfortable and relaxed doing that. And I think people like that generally, if everyone is able to be their authentic self, I think people will accept you. Some people won't like you, but they're not for you. And a lot of people will really resonate with that. I'll tell you one story, actually, that'll make you laugh. So the other day, believe it or not, obviously the context being that I'm former salesperson and relatively new to this, but I started working with a client who's a clinical psychologist. And her background is in neuroscience. And the first session that we do is a presentation on neuroscience, contextualizing it into their problems. So I was presenting with my little remarkable pad here, drawing up the brain. So I was presenting to someone with a background in neuroscience, who's a clinical psychologist on the neuroscience behind her brain. But I didn't feel uncomfortable doing it bizarrely because I knew that I know enough to be able to talk about the context of her problems. And I was coming from an authentic place of trying to help her, knowing that this is something that I love and being honest and open in myself. And I felt completely confident doing it. But it always makes me laugh when I reflect back on the fact that I was working with a clinical psychologist and teaching her the neuroscience about her brain. I can only relate so well because I will walk into a room full of experienced enterprise sellers and be there to teach them something new. So I definitely have felt that way. Everyone feels it though. That's the thing, Lisa. They're all sat thinking the same. They're thinking, I'm getting paid loads of money. I've got no qualifications. What am I doing here? Everyone feels the same. We're just human, aren't we? 
there's beauty in that. So, Stephen, we could talk all day. And uh, I was just noticing the time because it just flew by, honestly. It's so interesting having these conversations with you. And I understand, of course, you've got the website Navigating the Curve. Is there anywhere else, if a listener wanted to talk to you more about what you're doing, that you would like them to contact you? If any listeners contact me through Navigate the Curve through the website, but I'm also starting a community. So this is related to the um, the Navigate the Curve journey. So I realized that I had this network of brilliant folk from all different walks of life, not just sales and business, but I've also got creatives and scientists and all kinds of people. And they've all got one thing in common, and that's that they're, they're looking to change and become realigned with their authentic self. So I had this kind of crazy idea of creating a community, bringing everyone together with a view of everyone bringing their unique skills and traits into play and helping each other. And the community thing is also a big part of the mindset coaching because when we help each other, when we have authentic, genuine relationships with others, we increase the flow of serotonin and we help ourselves mentally. So it's killing two birds with one stone, helping from a mental health perspective, but it's also helping everyone in the community move forward. So I have a Navigate the Curve community, but people can access that through contacting me directly. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I, I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting to you both. Thanks, Stephen. Well, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your family, your friends, your coworkers, and you can subscribe through YouTube, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Lisa Schneer. I'm joined by my podcast partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.